Hi, you're listening to God, Ghosts, and Government, a weekly conversation with Senator Kim Jackson, where she'll reflect on her journey as an Episcopal priest, farmer, first-time state legislator, and much more. I'm your host, Sharitha J, and I'm honored to share this space with you. Let's begin. I am just so elated. I mean, it's been such a, a super eventful week. I don't I don't know if you heard, but something about an inauguration took place. Uh been pretty exciting on my end. I didn't just hear about it. I watched it happen on TV. <laughs> it was great. Yes. It's been an amazing week. Absolutely. Well, you watched it. But like I watched it as, you know, your your standard citizen, right? But you are now officially a Georgia State Senator. How did it feel for you to watch the inauguration this year for 2021? Oh my gosh. I, I think I watched it less as a senator and much more as just a black woman who um happens to have a niece who is half Indian and half black. And uh so I watched it with the lens of thinking about my niece Mina. And uh, knowing that she was watching from Tennessee and seeing a woman who looks just like her, who also happens to have a niece named Mina. Um, and, you know, another friend asked me about this and I, I didn't know this to be true until after the election that there was always there was still a part of me until I saw Kamala put her hand on that Bible, who still in the back of my head thought this was not possible, that, you know, a black woman would never be elected to the second highest office in this nation. Um, that just was like still in the back of my head. And I felt that possibility become real for me as I watched her put that hand on those two Bibles, right? Um, so I'm overwhelmed, I'm elated, I'm excited for our country. I'm excited for little black girls everywhere um, that we now have, we have someone who looks like us um, sitting in that room making those decisions for us. Just yes. I'm still taking it in as well, but I saw a photo, of course, you know, everyone's like taking pictures of the televisions and all these things. And I saw a photo of a little girl who was looking at the screen. And when Vice President Kamala Harris like raises her hand to, to take this oath, the little girl thought that uh, she was waving at her from the TV. And so she's just waving back like, hi, like, it just, it was just such a pure moment. And again, and simple yet profound. So I'm still in awe. I, I think I'm still taking it in uh, that we now have a, a, a woman as a vice president. It shouldn't be that far-fetched, right? Or shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been. And yet, Yet it is. I mean, we had a very well-qualified woman who ran for president, um, you know, not that long ago. And we apparently the country could not uh, figure out how to get over our misogyny enough uh, to vote for her. And so I, I think it does come as a surprise. And it certainly comes as a surprise that she is a, a Black Indian woman, right? I don't know that any of us imagined that that would happen, particularly before a white woman, right? And so it's it's, it is amazing. It's overwhelming. I mean, I think about all the little people, little boys and girls and children that were able to watch that event and who can dream new dreams because they see they see Kamala and they they got to see President Obama out there as well. And so, you know, they're seeing these 
people who look like them um, in these high positions now, like when I feel like now when a little kid who's five and, you know, is black and grown up and, uh, you know, who, who who's like a Raphael Warnock, who's grown up in, uh, you know, Section 8 housing, I feel like now they can watch it and they can truly, truly say, I can be president when I grow up one day which, you know, was different. I'm clear that my grandparents never believed that that was possible for their children, right? For their Black boys, particularly, and their Black girls. They didn't believe that was possible. And so now we know it actually is possible. With you saying that we just celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so... Hearing you say that his dream, his his famous speech of like, I have a dream has actually come true. Talking about manifestation, like this reality that we now have Madam Vice President Kamala Harris in the White House. It was it was one thing to also, you know, a few years back, 2008, President Barack Obama. But it's, it's something it's something there is something special. And it feels a little bit more tangible, um, a little bit more real. Another part of this for me is uh, having this, you know, very same conversation with my soon to be 85 year old grandmother and this happening in her lifetime. Just wow. I mean, she she lived to see Barack Obama. She's now lived to see Madam President, Madam, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, that is amazing. And honestly, even at 36, I don't I don't think I knew that I would live to these things myself. And so I'm I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. And 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 I know, like, let's let's be real. Um, there have been some very fair critiques of Madam Vice President's policies as it relates to um, drugs and, and cracking down on crime and particularly black communities. I mean, there are a lot of fair critiques out there. And uh, I'm I'm not at all trying to suggest that she is our savior because she's not, I I have a different savior. uh, Right. Um, And at the same time, she represents so much joy. She represents so much hope. She represents so much promise for our country. And I'm extraordinarily overwhelmed and grateful for that. Well, I have the honor of sitting in and having these conversations with you. And in doing so, I get to be this representation of of other voices who have questions. So I I have a question that's been sent in uh, to you. And it it, it simply states, how do you feel our country has shifted since the inauguration on Wednesday, January 20th? What should we be paying attention to? I will tell you the number of people who are just like, I feel like 20 pounds has been lifted up off of me <laughs> has been astounding. I think I agree with that. Uh, I I feel like another thing that has shifted is that there is just an extraordinary amount of hope that we can come out of this plague called COVID-19, that we might be able to come out of this that sooner. Um, I think there is an extraordinary amount of hope for, you know, Sharitha, you and I work with people who are experiencing homelessness and, you know, those, those stimulus checks have meant the world to them. And so with that inauguration, the hope for a $1,200 check or a $1,400 check to come um, again, you know, that is extraordinarily life-giving for those folks. And for so many people, right? And so um, I do think we've got to be on, on alert and aware in the same way. So when Barack Obama, when President Barack Obama was elected, um, you know, 
there was a lot of backlash. And in fact, I think Trump was a result of a lot of that backlash. And so I think we need to be prepared for that again, that um, that insurrection that we saw on January 6th, those insurrectionists still live. They're still alive. Many of them are actually still walking free. Uh, we need to be aware that they're continuing to plan to subvert and overturn our government. That's real. And so we, we need to, as much as we celebrate and as much joy that we feel and hope, we also need to stand guard and watch out for our democracy. Um, and, you know, let's turn this to Georgia and watch out like that, that same notion of uh, voter suppression, of making sure that the vote isn't stolen. I mean, that's going to show up in legislation here in Georgia, and it's really going to result in trying to take away opportunities for Georgians to vote. And so we've got to stay in guard, we've got to be vigilant, and we've got to be ready to fight. Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> Just observing um, as someone who, um, I, I use the term activist very, very loosely, but I do believe in showing up. Just having this moment and being able to to witness a shift politically, yes, I, I do have this sigh of relief, but I, I remember how I felt in 2016 election night. And just the other day and watching the inauguration, I saw videos of Trump supporters who genuinely felt their lives were in danger. Um, they didn't feel They don't feel safe with having President Biden in the White House. And a part of me, I'm just like, how could you like this just doesn't make sense. It doesn't click. But when I take take a moment and genuinely empathize, because I do, I get I get how they feel. I don't I don't fully understand how they got there, Uh, but I get how they feel because that's how I felt in 2016. And you know, when I saw the numbers coming in, I didn't stay. I didn't wait for the, the the race to be called. I went to sleep because I knew that was going to be one of the last few nights of, of rest. And I used that term loosely that I was going to get for a while. So I think it's something that we have to be mindful of. And just it's not necessarily like, oh, we got to you know come together. Kumbaya. But you have to take the this moment to also recognize that there are people who have genuine concern. And more importantly, they're Americans. I think that's the other part that we forget. It's this bipartisan us versus them kind of mindset. So I think we really have to take that in account moving forward that, that you know, people are upset. They're not necessarily the people that are showing up at, that showed up at the Capitol, but there's some genuine fears. And so if we can sit with that, and address it, I think we can we can start taking steps towards truly being the United States of America. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm mindful. I had a conversation with an older African-American woman um, and we were talking about the election and, and the results of it. And she was really excited. I mean, she's a black woman. I think 90 95 percent of us voted for uh, for Joe Biden. So I I trust that she is in that 95 percent. But she did say, you know, I am concerned, Kim. I'm concerned, though, that, uh, you know, that Joe Biden is going to bankrupt our country um, because of these these stimulus checks and these these packages. And, you know, I I heard that I I heard her genuine fear and concern. and, And I can push back and say, well, what does it look like? Can you bankrupt the United States? Um, like I, the, I mean, I, I asked that as a genuine question because, you know, people have talked about this rising debt that we are getting and there clearly doesn't seem to be a top to that. Um, so 
I'm not I'm not worried about us bankrupting the country, but I hear that as a genuine concern. And and for someone from an, another generation who's just like, you know, uh, what's going to happen to you and to your generation that comes after you if we continue to go this deep in debt? And so, um, yeah, it's not just people who voted for Donald Trump who are afraid or who are concerned. Um, and, and let me be clear, I think, you know, uh, sitting in the Georgia Senate, I, I am very aware and very concerned about uh, the future of Georgia and that just because we have President Biden and the Vice President Harris in office, it's not going to fix all of our problems. You know, it's not going to give it's not going to get us affordable housing. It's it's not going to it's not going to make sure that people who are living outside today will have access to a vaccine tomorrow. There's there are real issues that have not been solved simply by having them in our in our White House. And and there are many issues, though, that I think have been solved um, by having them. And so for me, I think about my goats and, um, you know, my goats have this really wonderful way of living their day where there, there are times in the day where they're clearly anxious and they're kind of pacing back and forth and they clearly want me to come out and feed them. Or, you know, uh, Carolina is, the, is our milk goat and it's clear that she's anxious to get milked. Right. Um, and so she'll have these moments of, of being anxious. And then they also have these moments though throughout the day where they just kind of break out in joy and dance. And they are dancing for no good reason that I'm aware of, but they just dance. And it doesn't mean that their anxieties have been quelled at all, right? But they choose to dance in the middle of the day. And, and I think that that's really what we, I think that's a lesson for us. I think this is the time, you know, watching that inauguration was a time for us to dance. Thinking about the freedom that we know have because we're not living under the reign of 45. We, we we get to dance. There's some pacing that might happen too. There's some anxiety that we that we have, some worries to work out too. But y'all, it's, we need to do some dance breaks, just like my goats do every day. Thank you for listening to God, Goats, and Government. We love to connect with you. So please follow us at Kim for Georgia for updates. Again, that's at Kim for Georgia on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I, I love when you talk about joy and and what that means, especially you know making that comparison with your goats. I, I hope they are they are expressing some. I hope it was a, a whole a praise dance with your goats um, during the inauguration. Hope they enjoy it watching too. Um, <laughs> But so with you being in session, how like how has that been this week? Because so much has happened. Um, so how like how how did that go this week with being in session? Yeah, so we were actually on um, a break in terms of being on the floor and voting. Instead, we were um, mostly virtual this week. There were people who came down, but this is what's called Budget Week in Georgia. So uh, the governor has a whole team that puts together um, a proposal for amending our previous budget. So, um, you know, we made some really big decisions and huge cuts um, back when in June, when we were in the real middle of the pandemic. And so some of that can be amended. And then there's also the ongoing, the 2021-22 budget that we're examining. And so we're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars. So all week long, we've been in these hearings, we've been listening from heads of departments talk about why they need the money that they've requested. And that, and it's really kind of high level, right? So it's, um, it's not talking about, uh, it's not talking about kind of the, uh, 
grassroots down to the like penny kind of dollar, but it's talking about like, we need, you know, $5 million to kind of overhaul our transportation system. Right. Or, um, you know, we need $10 million in order to raise the pay for our analysts. Right. Um, so it's this high level kind of um, assessment. And it's it's been fascinating at times. It's been boring, admittedly, at other times. Uh, it's very tedious to listen to how we make decisions about how we appropriate funds in Georgia. Um, and thankfully, it was it was virtual, so we didn't have to be down there during um, a time when there was great heightened security. I think many people probably saw the images, but there are Humvees and armed soldiers that are surrounding the Georgia Capitol and have been during this week. And so I was grateful for, for the reprieve and not having to go down and, and being a part of that. You bring up the uh, security uh, that's been brought in to protect the Capitol to kind of um, in preparation for the inauguration and also in response to uh, the siege of the U.S. Capitol. As someone who has been on the ground and has marched and served in the midst of Black Lives Matter um, protests, how did it feel seeing all of the enhanced security around the Capitol just in response to this? Yeah, I mean, so because I've spent so much time at Black Lives Matter rallies and protests for several years now, I internally was not comforted by the presence of all of these police officers and soldiers because I wasn't, I'm used to them being there to be against me, right? Um, I'm still used to the presence of armed people um, in uniform in particular to be there to quell my freedom of speech, to quell my right to gather and protest, right? Um, and so I think my body still has that that memory of of that kind of, these folks aren't here to help me. Uh, and and I'm also like, I'm still a black woman in black skin. So I don't know, like, do they know I'm a senator? Like, do they know that they're supposed to be protecting me? I'm not clear. Um, and so there was some, that weird tension there. Um, but also just this irony of like, you know, we're building this fence around the Georgia state Capitol and that fence started being built during the uprisings in the, in the summer. Uh, ostensibly that f- fence is being built against to protect against Antifa and Black Lives Matter. But now more than ever, we're clear now that that fence is being built to protect Republicans against other white radicalized Republicans. And so there's some irony in that um, and some deep sadness that comes with that, right? Um, but I, I was grateful to see that there was um, comparable, I think, response to the summer uprisings in terms of how much armed force was brought in um, and these, you know, potential uprisings of today, which would be white people that were uprising, that there was a comparable level of response because um, for so long that hasn't been true. Um, that's That wasn't true at the Capitol in the United States, right? So I think that's helpful in some ways, but um, to be honest, the response in the summer was was too much, was over. At no point, like there was nobody who was trying to like siege the Capitol in the summer. That was not happening. Like Black Lives Matter protesters in Atlanta were not marching on the Capitol to take it over and to try to lynch legislators. That was not at all on the radar. And yet they had Humvees and armed soldiers all around it. Um, so it was actually disproportionate in that regard. Whereas yes. now we're clear about the threat. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I have had the conversation. We've been at you know protests uh, and rallies together. 
And one in particular that I'm thinking of, we were at this protest and I, I'm exaggerating when I say it was 12 of us, but you do know what I mean, that in comparison to the response with police officers, there were helicopters, it was just super overwhelming. No one had a weapon and people were legitimately peacefully protesting a building. That's it. There, there was more protection for the building than the people in the community. And I think that it just kind of blew my mind personally, because I've, I've felt more in danger standing there, not because of anything, an action on my part or any of, of the people that I was standing with. It was just the response. I, I, I hate to use the term overkill, but legitimately, I mean, I, I'm still just taking that that moment in. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that is characteristic of a number of Black Lives Matter movement um, rallies and process that I've been to is that um, oftentimes there are more officers than there are protesters. There are more, more firearms on their side than there are on, on the protester side. And so, you know, we've, I, it, we've got to ask some questions, I think, as a, as a state and as a nation about how we want to respond to civil unrest. Um, when, what, what does it mean to have the right to peacefully assemble? And, and how, how the government officials are going to take um, and respond to known threats, um, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a complex issue. I will say that next week I am dropping a bill that will prohibit the use of rubber bullets on peaceful protesters um, because this summer, that's, you know, we saw the use of projectile, you know, rubber bullets is what we call them colloquially being used on Georgia citizens and, you know, hitting people really close to their eyes and um, just being unleashed in crowds of people who are protesting. Uh, and so, you know, there we we have to change the rules of engagement, I think. Right. Um, we we adjust those rules for how we're going to have officers and military respond to civ- to civilians. And one of those ways that I'm seeing is to say we're we're not going to use rubber bullets. Like that's just not acceptable. It's too it's too wild. I mean, they're children, right? This summer, yes, rubber bullets were unleashed. Let, let me let me let me be clear with folks. This summer, a group of protesters went to the governor's house to protest essentially his inaction when it comes to protecting the lives of all people and especially black people um, around the pandemic by opening it up, by not, you know, not insisting on masks, by all, all, all of the things that have been anti-black, right? So a group of peaceful protesters, black, white, brown, a whole, a whole bunch of them, young and old children were there and they were peacefully protesting in front of the governor's mansion and officers unleashed rubber bullets at a crowd in the midst, in the presence of children. And so we have to address, we have to reevaluate our rules of engagement when it comes to the use of force, when it comes to uh, unleashing objects that have the potential to cause great harm right? Um, A rubber bullet has the potential to maim someone for a lifetime. And we've got to to address that. And so next week, I'll be dropping a bill to try to address that. I'll I'll bring together some witnesses and some some folks who bore witness to that use of force um, here in Georgia to say, no, like we, this is not acceptable. 
I really can't wait to hear more about this bill. And, you know, of course, we look forward to discussing it more here on God, Ghosts, and Government um, as we close out this session. Thank you, Kim, for, you know, just keeping us in the know of what it's like to be um, a first-time Georgia State Senator. Um, I, I I have to get your, your thoughts on one more one more item here, one more thing on our list. Tell us, you know, how, how have you been impacted by the Bernie memes that are going around? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're hilarious. And I also, uh, so, you know, I'm a Southerner. I don't, I don't really necessarily know how to dress for cold weather, except let me be clear. Southerners do know how to dress for cold weather because we think cold is like 40 degrees. So we start putting on layers um, early on. Absolutely. Here's my thing about Bernie. Okay, it's funny. The mittens are cute. But how that man going to be out there without a hat on? Help me understand rule number one to dressing warm in the winter, as my grandmama taught me, was, child, you better put a hat on that head. Come on, Bernie. You, mm-mm. Come on, brother. I'm going to have to crochet. I don't know how to knit. So I'm going to have to crochet that brother a brown and white cap to go with those I have a feeling that someone's already on it because I saw where they're now selling those um mittens that he had on so it's it's really picked up so yeah I I agree there there are certain rules to the game he you know he did not have his his head covered so we got to do better don't you know that child that's how you get a head cold you go out there without your head covered right now I know science and all of my public health friends who are listening I understand how diseases get transmitted and my grandmama was on to something when she told me girl don't you go out there without your head covered because that is where all the heat escapes from so brother Bernie I appreciate you I appreciate all the ways that you help make sure that we are a better nation come on man you bald cover up your head that's it you heard it here (laughs) Bernie cover up your head thank you so much Senator Kim Jackson for taking time to sit down with us and keeping us up to date of what's happening at the Capitol and while you're in session Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Sharitha, for asking great questions and for giving me this opportunity to really kind of talk through for all of us uh, what's happening both at the Capitol and across the nation. Always fun. And uh, anytime I can talk about my goats, you know, I, I like throwing that in. So this is great. Thanks. This has been another wonderful session of God, Goats and Government. All right. Until next time. 